everyone, and welcome to the special Dead Center edition of the Cinematic Schematic. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, the uh, film critic and editor-in-chief at thecinematropolis.com. I am so excited about today's interview because we're talking with a very good friend who is also a pseudo-co-host of this podcast about a film he's making, has been making the entire time I've known him in one form or another, the writer, director, and producer of You People, Laron Chapman. Welcome to the show as a guest. As a guest this time. I know. It's different. And we're going to be talking all about your film, You People. But we're not just joined by Laron today. We're also joined by one of the executive producers who also plays a supporting role of that bitch in the movie, Yusuf Kazami. Welcome to the Cinemax Medic. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, without further ado, let's get to talking about your film premiering at the Dead Center Film Festival this weekend, You People. My name is Chad Johnson, and I'm not your typical black guy. I shop at Hollister, I listen to rock music, and I think 2 Chains is just a fancy name for a hardware store. You an enigma. Hey, I'm shaking off the haters. Chad, your parents are blacker than you. Ah, I see that books aren't the only thing we're here to check out. She's not interested, Mike. I mean, look at her. She's in a black guy's. I close yeah. my eyes to see an intelligent, whitewashed black youth adopted by a Caucasian family has a crisis of ethnic identity while growing up in white suburbia with his urban culture-obsessed white best friend. Well, Ron, this sounds extremely topical, and I can't wait to see it. Uh, could you go ahead and kick us off by telling us a little bit more about you people? What kind of film can viewers expect to see? It's a satirical comedy or dramedy, I should say, because it's a, a nice balance of drama and humor in it that is centered around kind of stereotypes towards different minority groups. I think the the lead character in the film is a, a black man in college. Um, uh, he's adopted by um, a white family, and he kind of goes his whole life not knowing much about his own heritage, his own culture. Um, he's into country music and rock. He you know shops at Banana Republic. He's very um, alternative. Uh, his best friend is the opposite of him. He's a white guy that's kind of steeped in the hip hop culture scene. Um, and so they have this kind of odd, you know, odd pairing kind of buddy comedy sort of sorts. Um, um, again, set in college, there's a girl on campus that is uh, the main character is really attracted to. Um, and he overhears this conversation that she has and um, misunderstands her and assumes that um, she's only into stereotypical black men. And so he has to consult in his white friend to help him tap into his inner blackness. So um, I think that's my... Kind of a way to reverse the stereotypes, right? Like Definitely, the archetypes, yeah. which a thing has been prevalent in Hollywood for a long time, right? Yeah. Um, and I thought it would be interesting kind of inverting those stereotypes that way because I think then people were going to be able to just look at all the characters as people and not the stereotype that's associated with the individual people. Um, and then, you know, kind of is refreshing to kind of look at it and then say, like, none of these people are who I think they are. You know, there's something more to them. There's a little more dynamic to them in that way. But is this something yes. that you came up with when you were in college? Or you kind of, like, developed um, as you worked on other film sets? or uh, I feel like it's kind of the culmination of just all things I've experienced in my life as a double minority but i think the kind of the inspiration for it came in college when um, my roommate actually my dorm mate had told me that i was the whitest black guy that he'd ever met and i always thought that was interesting because um, i took that you know i didn't take it as a compliment when he said it and i know that he meant it as one um, but i thought that you know that it kind of 
had a really interesting insight. Like, why did he think that, you know what I mean? Like, why would he think to say that to me? And it's obviously something that people, you know, uh, do in fact think about certain types of black people who are, uh, I don't know, more fluent or more intelligent or more articulate. So um, I kind of birthed it out of that kind of experience of being kind of um, associated with a stereotype that I didn't think, you know, applied to me personally. Right, right. So, uh, and again, so the the whitest uh, black guy, not a compliment. Uh, just lay out. Not there, a right? compliment, guys. <laughs> not a compliment. <laughs> um, so w- that's kind of the 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 where the idea came from. So, how long how long have you has this film been in the works? Um, I want to say, really, honestly, from inception, probably about three and a half years. Um, but the process of actually like doing the hard work for it, probably two. Okay. Um, so did you write, write start writing the script two years ago? Or? Yes. Um, I attended the Austin Film Festival um, for a film that was premiering there that I also worked on, um, August Osage County. Um, and it was the Writers Festival. And I got really inspired because the whole festival was geared towards um, just all, you know, the, the writing component of filmmaking. And so I left there what I felt like I was equipped with all these tools and knowledge from all the panels and different um, uh, discussions that were had there. And I went home, you know, after that festival, and uh, about a month later, I had the first 200-page draft of You People. So, 200 pages? Yeah, it was, it was Lord of the Rings It was long. an epic, yeah. <laughs> so is that where, at what point did, did you drop the ring into the Mordor? Man, or, yeah. it, four or five times. There's four <laughs> or five endings, yeah. Um, it, um, but yeah, it developed from there, um, and it was, um, and it's since obviously been condensed to a much tighter you know, uh, less sprawling, um, epic of sorts, but well, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, cause, uh, again, as a, as a writer, that's a thing a lot of writers do. They write this huge, epic, awesome story and 200 pages for those of you who aren't familiar with, uh, filmmaking and how long that's a very, very, very lengthy script. It's, it's roughly four hours. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so we're um, really gone with the wind more than, more than Lord of the Rings, but yeah, but it's good. It's good. Cause you're trying, you've, you come up with this big idea and this vision that you have to figure out, okay, so how can I pare this down with by also keeping all those ideas present in the script. And that's yes. also a, a very common part of the, the, the filmmaking process, I think, right? Absolutely, yeah. I felt like as much as I as it's changed since that 200-page script, I'm really thankful for that 200-page script because it at least there was enough content there for a miniseries, but at least I had the backstories for all of my central characters. And so whenever I was dialing it back, I could always refer back to what those individual people had been through and then kind of allude to it either visually or with a line of dialogue or basically it made me a better writer i thought excellent so yusuf laron has a f- four-hour epic he's like i want to make this movie uh, and you also have a have a lot of, lot of lot of experience here in the oklahoma scene uh, working for the oklahoma film music office what do you say to laron when he comes to you with this idea we had many discussions from the beginning of uh well, i guess you'd call it pre-production mm-hmm. about what this project was going to be for laron originally we'd even talked like it, should it be a short film like thinking yeah. about budget wise and what's the best way to tell this story but i think for laron it was important for his first project as a writer director to tell his truth and what he wanted it to be and so ambitiously he went for the feature and and like we've kind of talked about it has evolved a lot from the 200 pages and what was the actual page count that it ended up being? In the end, I believe it was 93 minutes, and it equates to about 95 minutes on screen. So, Well, and I think even from that final draft of the script, too, you know, 
the story evolved in the editing room, even from yeah. what was included and what was taken out yeah. to get to the to the strongest meat of the story and what characters that involved. And um, I think he f- finished it and made it into the strongest piece it could be for for his messaging and what he wanted. And Yusuf's actually had the, I say the privilege or the um, <laughs> the obligation to watch every draft of the film. Oh, wow. With exception of the one that's at the world premiere. So that'll be a surprise for you. So I no longer have notes to take back. He will just tell me what he thinks of that version. But he's seen the two or three versions that that came before it with studious notes for how to, you know, he's one of the people that I refer to also whenever I'm, want brainstorming creatively and he will be honest so give him that feedback right (laughs) and i'm so excited to see what the final locked version is going to be because i've heard it's from that first version it has changed significantly yes so yusuf uh were you involved with uh location scouting or casting was that was that something you were hands-on with uh i'm just kind of curious what was the because obviously once you get the we've got the script we got the story but like how do we get this thing made you you basically helped me with casting. We went through all of the auditions. You can kind of talk about that process a little bit, but we, you know, um, yeah. I was I was honored to be um, what did you say like an advisor or like just yeah. an opinion person give opinions on um, casting and I think a few of the locations because yeah. our our office used to be located across from one of your primary locations that ended mm-hmm. up working out for your uh, school campus so yeah. I was glad about that and yeah I mean it's interesting because some of the um, people who were cast. Um, within the community, you know, it's kind of small and word of mouth. His leading actress was someone who was my leading actress in my short film, Yes, We're Open. Award-winning film, um, Yes, We're Open. I don't know about all that. But, <laughs> um, but um, and then, you know, a close friend of mine who'd also been in some projects here is the supporting role of um, Michael. Uh, Michael, yeah, he plays the... James Austin Kerr. Yeah, he plays the white character that has the reversed stereotype, yeah. So yeah, no, it was it was actually an honor and lots of fun to kind of be a little a small wingman for you and and um, supporting you and kind of ultimately seeing what your vision was going to be on screen. Yeah. But it was it was uh, I, I will say it was kind of fun watching a lot of the casting tapes and and seeing you know watch Laron know when someone fit the mold of what he was looking for. And then maybe when someone else surprised him and he took a chance on something that wasn't originally the mental image or what he thought in his head of what a role uh, that he wrote should look like or be. I don't think there was any stage of this process that didn't at least get put on his table in some capacity, at least for, if anything, just for brainstorming or insights. So. Right. Excellent. Excellent. So this film has been in the works for years and years, but I, I do think that the timing is, uh, of the, the release is interesting. I know this is something I mean, you've talked about you know quite a bit uh, through the last couple of years, uh, post-2016 election, where it seems like there's been a lot of old school rhetoric that's come back up, uh, unfortunately. You know, your story, it makes it that more re- much more relevant. It was always going to be relevant, but now it's a conversation that everyone's t- everyone's having to like really talk about again uh, in a way that's really, uh, and, and is encouraging in some ways, not so much in others. Yeah, well, it's weird because you're right. Um, it's, it is more relevant now. Um, and because when I originally wrote it, I just wrote it to have the conversation with myself or to kind of deal with the problems I was kind of dealing with with internally um personally as it pertains to different 
stereotypes and kind of prejudices that people have had towards me. But it's interesting how the timing of it is right. Because when I wrote it, um, I think uh, I, when I finished the first draft, Dear White People had just was on its way to premiering into the being into the, you know, um, the cinema space. And, and I remember thinking like, man, uh, it, this this film is touching on a lot of the same things as my film. I'm wondering if they're going to think that I lifted ideas from them. But then after watching the film, I realized the story was drastically different, but we had just kind of tapped into like a cultural consciousness. I think that this is just what people want to talk about, which made me think to myself that this, that mean that meant that my film probably did have a space for, you know, dip for audiences because it was something that was very topical of the moment. And that, and as you said, you know, now as it, the process has developed kind of, it's been, I won't say at a glacial pace, but, um, but at a steady pace, you know, um, from inception to now, um, yes, we've had the election. We've had a lot of different, uh, we had the Black Lives Matter movement was birthed in the middle, in the midst of all of this process. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those kind of um, social, economical, political um, elements that have been kind of, you know, steeped in everyone's mind here, um, just in the world, um, now the film seems to have, it's almost like it needs to come out now. And so um, I couldn't have picked a better first film to to write and direct. So, And do you think, uh, did it impact, have the, the events that occurred impacted your script or your ideas at all? Uh, uh, definitely in the revisions as things started to, well, for one, I made the mistake of making way too many pop culture references uh, that you know, and, you know, three, three years ago were funny, but now are probably a little dated. Um, so what I did is just kind of, because I could catch most of these things, I was able to clean up a lot of that in, in the revisions for the script. And so there are some lines in it now that, you know, that are really relevant to right now. So I definitely see it now. <laughs> um, but, um, but definitely some things that had to be modified, ju- not just, just the timing of things, the, the things that were probably not, politically correct to say that were then at the time not as inflammatory just a lot of things that i had to kind of keep my optics very you know alert and aware but mm-hmm. yusuf so uh again you're you, Ron brings you this idea and you're and you're working with him on how how does this film get made did uh, a lot of the ideas he's communicating here was this something that resonated with you uh, throughout the process as well absolutely um i was just sitting here thinking actually and you know um oklahoma's film scene is really growing and it's exciting it's an exciting time to be a filmmaker but i'm not just saying this because i know you but i can't think of anyone right now locally who is um putting this much diversity and um you know, topical storytelling at the forefront. Like it was really important for you, not only this being your story, but, you know, inclusive of all um, ethnicities, minorities, anyone who's felt like kind of an outsider, this is kind of for them. So yeah, I mean, myself, I'm a minority. I'm a gay man. I think there's something relatable for everyone in this movie. And I think that's part of the appeal of it too. If everyone should find something in it that resonates with them. I think something that's interesting about this film is you have a lot of experience as a PA. Like you said, you've worked on August, uh, Osage County, and uh, a number of other films. Uh, Wildlife, I think, recently. That was a Paul Dano's film that premiered at, uh, was it Sundance earlier this year, I think? Yeah, getting great reviews. Um, Yeah, 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 good deal. But you never actually worked as like a a director of photography or a director writer. This is like your debut feature film. Was that intimidating at first? Were you a little nervous? Uh, Absolutely. Um, I I wasn't going to direct the film initially. Um, I was just going to 
essentially produced and then obviously take the credit for the the writing, uh, the screenplay. But the further I went along with it, I mean, the people I'd surrounded myself, the producers I surrounded myself with, everyone that was, you know, helping me with the early developmental process of it were telling me that I just don't know anyone else that should direct this but you. Like, if this is your story in, in many ways, it's loosely based on experiences from your life. No one is going to be able to capture those moments, the little nuances of the experience as you are. And so if you're intimidated by directing the film, just know that you'd be the one in charge. You'd have creative control over your story. And then at the end of the day, um, the only person that you're going to disappoint is yourself. If, if, it, if it falls apart, you're not having to answer to anybody. So um, in that sense, you know, I, I kind of talked myself into it as well. And so, yeah, that definitely was intimidating because, um, like you said, coming from being a PA, I will say that I from being a PA um, through osmosis, you know, just being able to drink it. I think it's a really valuable position, even though it doesn't feel like it when you're on set. Um, but after in hindsight, you realize that you've really been able to drink in what everybody's been doing um, and you get to see them at work and you you have contact with virtually everybody on set because you're involved in a small capacity with everybody. And so I I took that for granted at the time. But knowing that in the end, when I went to crew this film, when I went when I realized I knew a lot more than I realized um, and things I just picked up on from watching other people do it. I was able to just, hey, say, hey, I know a makeup artist. I know a camera guy. I know a sound person. I know actors. You know, so it, it, I was able to crew my film through my own, the relationships I'd built on those, those films over the course of five some odd years, five, six years of, of working in film on a, with a below-the-line position. So. Well, it's it's interesting because I think uh, there's a philosophy. Uh, maybe, maybe this is more so prevalent in like uh, Hollywood or some of these big studio towns. Uh, the idea that you kind of have to work your way up to the ranks, and while you have done a lot of, uh, you you have been a, a PA on, on a number of really high profile uh, sets here in Oklahoma. You didn't like make shoot ten films as a as a DP or a photographer, no. you, and you didn't you know you didn't write like twenty scripts that got made or something. You, yeah. you started out the gate saying, "Hey, I'm writing," and and because you wanted to make sure it was the best story you could tell, right? And it was so personal to you. You also took up the director's seat. So how did you? So you you knew all these people. How did did you have to lean a lot more on your talent? Absolutely. I mean, I don't take um, full credit for the what the finished product you're going to see. It very much it looks better, sounds better, and um, is much bigger of a production than I could have ever imagined it would my first film would be because I entrusted so many people that I had worked with. Um, and all of those people um, were uh, kind of experts in their own respective crafts. Um, and I made a point whenever I was doing this to surround myself with people who were better than me, who were better at their jobs than me, I should say. And, um, and, and were able to, you know what I mean, kind of help me and through the process of one nerves, also feeling like I was in over my head, and also, you know, consulting me on things that I probably wouldn't know to ask or think about. So that's when you lean on Yusuf. You say, Yusuf, what am I, what am I missing here? Yeah. Yeah, like, what am I missing here? What's what's wrong here exactly? Yeah. So and I and my Jacob, the you know the Burns brothers as well. There there was a huge process of that too um kind of helped me a lot in pre-production with just like making sure the script was right understanding things that could be told conveyed visually that we didn't need to say um and then also just 
you know, composition and blocking and making sure that the, the film had the right tonality and visual style that would be appropriate for the story we were telling. But mm-hmm. Yusuf, so uh, you also, uh, outside of being an executive producer, if we m- mentioned you're also in the, uh, in the film as That Bitch. That's me. <laughs> Self-titled <laughs> That Bitch. Yeah. So talk, uh, tell me a little bit more about your character and the role you play in the film. Well, um, I play a sassy drag queen, self-named that bitch, self-proclaimed number one. (laughs) Um, And I just have a a wonderfully small scene exploring, I think, one of the other kind of subplots and and opening up to the LGBT community as a a group of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's a nice, fun little bit. I was was not expecting a role. I was honored that Laurent asked me to be in it. And it was just incredibly special. And it was awesome for many reasons. One being I got to share a scene with... um, his lead actress who was also in my short Mm -hmm. and two to kind of be there on set that day and see like Laurent in action see him work see the incredible team of people he had around him supporting him this particular scene was like shot on a snow day it was a big extra call day and people still came out worked hard pulled through and from what I've seen it looks fantastic Mm. And so, yeah. no, it was it was an honor to be a part of it in that sense, and even more special to kind of see this whole army on, I don't remember what day it was of your shoot, but I mean, it's like a 16, 17-day boot camp, and yeah. to see you lead the troops and also them support you and it all come together, it's a very, very cool um, process and thing to see. Excellent. And uh, have you uh, acted in a lot of other films before this one? No. Uh, well, I, well, actually, well... I had a similar role, uh, tiny, 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 mm-hmm. in Lance's um, movie, Oh Brother. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. I literally just shimmied across the stage, but I was Everyone living my best it. life. I was living <laughs> my best life doing it. So I guess it, maybe that set me up for um, a speaking role in you people. So yeah. maybe, you know, this is the Oklahoma film scene cinematic universe. They're all intertwined. So you're the connective tissue right I'm there. The mar- I'm the, the Marvel mar- b- <laughs> yeah, bitch. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're, the, you're the Stanley. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. But what's funny is you, you and I feel like you you downplay yourself too much. With but he's definitely uh, has a theater background. So I mean, people he's been extras in small roles in a lot of films, but um, and he has a lot of personality. He makes his own sometimes. Well, too. you get the you get the punchline of the trailer joke too. I was so excited yeah. to be the bumper of the trailer. Yeah. I was that felt like basically if anyone's looking for a drag queen for any future <laughs> Oklahoma films, I'm the local divine. <laughs> the local I'll divine. do whatever you want. No. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, before we wrap up, I want to ask each one of you, because I'm sure you have different differing perspectives on it, but for audiences who go and attend, you know, we're not going to spoil the movie or anything along those lines, but for audiences that attend, what do you hope to see? What do you hope they take away from watching this film? One of my favorite films is uh, American Beauty. Um, and the, tagline for it was look closer um at the people around you and i think that um i think that also you know in some sense maybe subconsciously kind of played into the idea um i'm hoping people walk away from it you know uh being able to look at people you know with a you know a three-dimensional lens you know and not seeing just that surface value you know um kind of preconceived notions that we have about um people of any of any demographic not just not just racially or diverse in that sense but 
Um, but hopefully, yeah, that they, that they're comfortable in their own skin. Um, and they're proud of who they are. Um, that they don't make excuses for it. Um, and that, um, that they allow, um, you know, into their, into their hearts and minds, you know, some level of tolerance and compassion towards all different people. Well, ditto Laron. No, (laughs) he's so eloquent. Um, I I second that and something I know Laron and I discussed and I'm sure he discussed it with others and even after the final cut of the film was like the tone of the film and like how hard are you pushing this messaging? What, what, like, how aggressive do you want to be? What's the most digestible version of what you're trying to say? And my opinion is, I think you found it in a way that is thought provoking while also being very gentle mm-hmm. um, and making people, you know, look positively inward about their actions and relationships and people in their lives. And I think it's a great. I think Dead Center is going to be a great world premiere for you. Um, that festival gets all kinds of audiences. It's going to be a packed house. And I think word of mouth will hopefully spread very quickly about the the film, people's excitement for it and, and the messaging. And, and hopefully like people continue to see it and spread the word. Gentlemen, uh, this has been a really great talk uh, with you. This is, again, uh, Laurent Chapman's film, You People. Is there anything else either of you would like to add about the film before we wrap up today? see it <laughs> no when can this one wink, more reminder Laurent. when when can they see it uh they can see it at the world premiere of the opening night of uh dead center um june 7th at uh 8 8 30 p.m that's a, that's a thursday correct that's a thursday night um and then they can also they have another opportunity to see it closing night um sunday june 10th at 6 p.m all right, and uh, lastly, if people want to keep up with you people online, where they, they have any, you have any social media channels they can follow? Yes, absolutely. They can follow it, the Facebook page um, at uh, facebook.com slash youpeoplemovie, and then it's also um, under you people Film on Twitter and you people Film on Instagram. All right, excellent. Yusuf, Laurent, thank you so much for joining uh, the Cinematic Schematic today. For I am very much looking forward to watching the film uh, at Dead Center. If you're at home and listening and you've enjoyed our talk with Laron and Yusuf, make sure to stay tuned to thecinematropolis.com for even more Dead Center coverage, including filmmaker interviews, film reviews, and more. You can check out the website or follow us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thecinematropolis or on Twitter and Instagram at thecinematrop. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special Dead Center edition of the podcast, and we'll catch you back on the Cinematic Schematic again with more interviews next time. Mm-hmm.